Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 580 with Ann Bogle. Anne is going to share with us how to stop overthinking things, become more decisive. So you'll learn, one, what we lose when we overthink, two, telltale signs you're overthinking, and three, how to stop your overthinking in just three to eight minutes. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP580. And if you're at Awesome At Your Job, I also recommend you check out the Gold Nugget email list, which provides summary insights to your inbox from Anne and access to the vault of every guest who's gone before Anne. So that's called the Gold Nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can read Anne's insights in just about three minutes, but I think you'll want to listen too because it's a lot of fun, but sometimes you're busy. Anyway, that's the idea. The Gold Nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Anne's story. Anne Bogle is the author of Reading People and I'd Rather Be Reading and the creator of the blog Modern Mrs. Darcy and the podcasts What Should I Read Next and One Great Book. Bogle has been featured in O, The Oprah Magazine, Real Simple, Bustle, Refinery29, The Washington Post, and more. Bogle's popular book lists and reading guides have established her as a tastemaker among readers, authors, and publishers. She lives in Louisville, Kentucky. Big thanks to Anne for sharing her wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com slash awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients tier one compensation provided compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member at finra slash sipc for more information visit acorns.com here is Anne. Anne, welcome back to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm so happy too. You know, last time it was way back when, episode 215, and one of my good friends, Lisa, said, you interviewed my favorite podcaster. It's like, so I'm not your favorite podcaster. <laughs> your good friend said. Well, thanks a lot, Lisa. So yeah, Lisa loves you. She's still, yeah, we're still friends and she still loves you. So thank you for... For rocking and rolling. If it helps, my mom says things that to me like that sometimes. <laughs> Who's her favorite podcaster? That just hurts, Pete. Come on. <laughs> my mom, well, I feel bad because my mom says sometimes she'll listen to my podcast when she wants to talk to me, but I'm not available. <laughs> so I feel horrible. Like I should make more time for my sweet mother. It's a compliment and a guilt trip all rolled into <laughs> one. <laughs> Indeed. Well, so so tell me, you've got another book out. It's about making decisions. And, and I thought that was kind of meta in a way because your podcast is called What Should I Read Next, which is a decision that you're making again and again and again. So maybe to tee it up, could you tell us how do you in fact decide what to read next? 
Well, this is true about my podcast, but I have to tell you, I did not understand the connection between the podcast and the book until I think, I don't know, a week or two before my first book tour event for this book. One of my team members said, well, the podcast is tailor-made to help people not overthink their reading life. So just talk about how you put together the show and why it works. And I was like, it is? Oh, it is, isn't it? Well, the secrets there are go to a trusted source, get a couple of options, but not too many, and know that there is always another book because you don't get all caught up in perfectionism and second guessing if you know that there's always going to be another book after the one you finish. Also, as a podcast host, it's easy not to be like overcome with regret and second guessing because I know there's always going to be another episode. So if I remember in the shower the next morning that, oh, now I know the perfect book for that guest that I talked to yesterday and that ship has sailed and I can't change my recommendations now because every episode I recommend three books live on the fly that I think will be good for the guest based on our conversation. Um, it's helpful to know, well, I could always put that in the newsletter. I could always put that in a bonus episode or I can always save that for another guest that it just might be perfect for. It's all right. So, so that's how you're, you're helping folks uh, with those decisions. Your book is called Don't Overthink It. So maybe you could start by telling us why not overthink it? What, what's the problem or the cost associated with, in fact, overthinking it? Oh, well, okay. At the best, it's a distraction. But at the worst, I mean, I, I used to think that this was more a nuisance than a massive, huge deal for many people. But I've really come to believe that overthinking it always comes with an opportunity cost that isn't worth paying because when you're spending your life overthinking things, that's, I mean, any moment you spend overthinking something that doesn't deserve that time, energy, and attention is a minute you can't spend on something that really deserves it. And when I talk about overthinking, I'm talking about those thoughts that are repetitive, unhealthy, unhelpful. It's when your brain is working really hard, but it's not taking you anywhere Nobody wants that. Those thoughts are exhausting. They make you feel miserable. So just so we know what we're talking about and why you really don't want that in your life. Oh, oh that's handy. So, so you're defining overthinking perhaps a bit more broadly than some might assume. It's not just spending too much time on a given decision or a plan of action, but uh, just overthinking in places that don't need those thoughts at all, eh? Some books about overthinking do restrict it to just rumination, where that word comes from the oh-so-flattering image of a cow chewing its cud, you know, returning to the same food again and again for digestive purposes. But if you're a person who's overthinking, thinking about whatever that is over and over again, it doesn't help you reach a decision. It's a loop that takes conscious intervention to get out of. And yeah, I believe that we're all happier and healthier and can spend more of our resources, our time, our energy and attention on the things that really matter when we give decisions and other things in our lives the amount of energy they deserve and not more. I mean, it's not overthinking if you give something the amount of thought you want it to, even if your choice may look hard to believe for some people. Like if you know someone who really genuinely enjoys researching Oh, wow, Pete, I was about to use a travel analogy. Okay, let's go for it. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> let's go for it and hope those dates will come again. If you have a friend who really enjoys researching like 40 different places they may visit to camp on spring break because that is fun for them, that is part of the adventure, that is part of the experience, that's not overthinking for them. It might be overthinking for you because that's not fun for you. That's perfectionism-driven research looking for, you know, just you'll just check one more site, one more site, one more site. But if you're giving something the amount of attention you want to, that's just fine. 
Well, well, well no, I, I, I love that because it's, it really, it just opens it up a whole lot in, in that you might, it may indeed be shocking or overwhelming or surprising to some people when you're just, I guess, sort of nerding out and doing what you're doing. I was thinking recently about, I might do this, but I, I've been playing a little bit of Fortnite, the smash hit sensation game, which I guess is for 12 year old boys, but I, I play it too. And I've been thinking about like the trigonometry associated with when you jump out of the battle bus and how you might optimize the timing of it. So you hit exactly the spot you want to hit as fast as possible. In a way, I mean, it's just a silly game. I'm not, I'm never going to go pro and it's just sort of amusing to be, I love that definition because like, well, no, if I'm having a hoot, just figuring that out for the sheer fun of figuring it out, I'm not overthinking it versus if, if someone who has more fun just, you know, playing the game and blasting people away, then they would be overthinking it. It's very subjective and individual dependent. Yeah. If you're enjoying your trig exercising with Fortnite, have at it. I dig it. Okay, cool. Actually, if you do find yourself caught in an overthinking loop, when your brain is like the hamster on the wheel, you can't stop talking. It sounds like what you're describing is a really excellent potential distraction for your mind that gives it a puzzle to work on that requires a kind of creative mental energy that forces out the things you don't want to be thinking about because all your attention is required to focus on this problem you've created for yourself because you enjoy it and because it's fun. Well, well, that just kind of makes me think it'd be great to just have a, a list of those at the ready, you know, for when you're getting a, you're caught in a loop. It's like, oh, I need to escape. Oh, here's my handy list of, of fun puzzles I can go and solve. And I find that a little bit even with, I guess there's research on this, like knitting or crafts. Like I've experienced that when I'm I'm doing that sort of thing. It's like, oh, this is very soothing because my brain is is focused on that thing instead of many, many, many thoughts, issues, questions I'm trying to nail down. Yes. I don't know if you are someone who turns to stress baking when you're feeling overwhelmed, but this is a real thing and it serves the same purpose. If you're following a recipe for the first time or one you're not familiar with, your hands are occupied, your brain is occupied, it's tactile and it requires all your concentration or you're going to screw it up. So there's not room for that mental loop to play also that goes, did I say the wrong thing? Did I say the wrong thing? Why won't they call? What's happening? Why are they running late? Because your brain is completely occupied. You don't have the bandwidth to entertain those thoughts. Okay, I'm digging this. So overthinking is is giving more thought than something deserves. It's problematic because there is an opportunity cost that you could be spending your time, energy, attention, thinking on, on something that's more fun and joyful. Maybe could you help us identify when we're overthinking faster in terms of what are sort of like the canaries in the coal mine, the, the telltale signs, or, or maybe even just frequent categories uh, of stuff subject to overthought? That's a great question. And it's almost hard to give a list because overthinking more than I realized when I launched into this personal project is insidious. It's the river that's a mile wide and a varying depth for some people. But it's a good question because the first step to overcome any kind of overthinking is to realize you're doing it. Because if you don't realize your behavior is problematic or impacting your life in negative ways, then you wouldn't even think about changing it. You wouldn't feel like you had a reason to. I would say that noticing when you feel tired, 
noticing when you feel crabby, noticing when you feel stressed about making certain decisions or in certain moments. Um, Some people, if you ask them, are you an overthinker, they can immediately say, oh my gosh, yes, like I was up at three o'clock in the morning worrying what might happen if fill in the blank. I won't give you any uh, (laughs) scenarios. The people who do that can certainly come up with them on their own. I know there have been times when I certainly could. But also it may help to review a list of things that are known triggers for a lot of people, even those who don't typically characterize themselves as constant overthinkers. Relationships is a big one. Work is a big one for a lot of people. Also, money trips up a lot of people who don't consider themselves to be chronic overthinkers. And we could be talking about tiny purchases like why would I buy G2s when the big sticks are so much cheaper? I mean, some people will find themselves paralyzed by these small questions. Um, Ghirardelli instead of Hershey's. Because a fine riding experience is <laughs> luxurious and joyful, is my answer, Dan. <laughs> or it could be um, justifying a splurge, like a nice dinner out or a vacation that's outside the bounds of what you would typically spend for a a vacation in the summer. These are things that are um, big triggers for a lot of people. Oh yeah, and now I'm really really feeling what you're saying with regard to how it can be a thief of joy there in terms of if you're if you're agonizing or it's like, oh, that seems like such a cool vacation. Oh, but it costs so much money. Oh, but so I think you can just really go back and forth and uh, put yourself in, in a tough spot, which is as unpleasant as opposed to, I guess if you just knew, well, hey, the vacation budget is this, you know, greater than, less than. Okay, I guess we can move on. Or this seems like an exceptional opportunity. Hey, spouse or travel companions, what do we think about uh, shifting some budget from one place to another? That's excellent in terms of the the angst. I'm feeling it that, that you can come when you're doing that. You know what you just did, though, was you cut out the inclination to maximize that so many people who struggle with overthinking do on a regular basis. Because sure, like if it's in budget, that's great. And if it's not, that's a problem. But what if you could get a little more for your money? What if you might be more meaningfully fulfilled if you went to one place or another? Maybe you just really need to stay home. I mean, there's so many options to consider that without having a clear idea of what you want and where you're going, it's easy to succumb to. Also, another big trigger of overthinking in a lot of people is shopping. It doesn't matter if you're going to the grocery. Oh my gosh, if you're buying jeans or school supplies for your kids. Any situation where you have to make a lot of decisions really quickly can really take a toll on your mental stamina. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the stamina piece for for a bit. So decision fatigue is a real thing. Can you tell us what is it and how do we deal with it? Decision fatigue has become quite a buzzword. I find that most people know what this is now, but not everybody. We're talking about that state when your brain is tired from making many decisions and you simply reach the point where you can't make any more effectively. And this is because when it comes to making decisions, we don't have an endless capacity to do so. We can only handle so many decisions in a day, but we make hundreds, if not thousands of decisions every day, depending on what we do. And so how we allocate our energy to make those decisions and how we can structure our lives to make fewer of them really matters. And if you want to nerd out about this, there's all kinds of interesting research on everything from kids in the classroom to judges sitting on a court bench. Oh, right. Officers making parole decisions that show, oh, you you want to be in front of whoever's deciding something in your behalf when they are fresh. Absolutely. 
If you come at the end of the day or the last cases before lunch, you are screwed. When people don't know what to do, they default to the status quo or they decide nothing at all. Because it takes less brain power. You know, you, you got to bring them a Snickers when you're on trial. <laughs> your Honor, would you please? <laughs> if you if you can't be on the docket for eight, that probably is your next best bet. But I mean, truly, this matters. Like, we don't want to think we live in a world where the fates of people are determined by, by where you fall on the docket. But being aware of how these human limitations affect your life, whether you want them to or not, helps you do something about it. But okay, so decision fatigue, it, it happens. We have a finite capacity to to make decisions over the course of a day. It comes depleted and we're sleepy. So what should we do about it? Schedule big decisions for when we're fresh or, or what are sort of the, the top practices to address this? That's a good question. Okay, I'm gonna zoom out a little bit. So I found that when it comes to overthinking, so many of us start by thinking like, okay, I'm standing at the kitchen counter. I'm looking for my friend to pull into the driveway because they're supposed to be here any minute. But, well, you know, they're running late. Are they in a ditch? Is something wrong? Do they actually hate me and they're not coming? Like, what is happening now? We think like, okay, I need to do something in this moment to fix the problem so it doesn't happen again. But really, so much overthinking doesn't start in the moment. We lay the foundation by how we treat our bodies. Studies show that we don't overthink when we're well-rested. We don't overthink when we're peaceful. We overthink when we ate Doritos for dinner, when we're tired, when we stayed up too late. We overthink when we're not taking care of our bodies. We overthink when our shoulder hurts because we've been sitting hunched over our desk all day. So the first thing we can do is really set ourselves up for success by taking care of those really simple, boring adult human maintenance things that we know we should do, but we don't always make time for because they don't seem so productive in the moment. And Pete, I got to tell you, I was really disappointed to read this research because it's not fun. Like it's not sexy, like a good productivity hack is. Yeah. It doesn't get you the clicks on social media. No, no, but... Not a weird trick. <laughs> I don't know who needs to hear this, but truly... Going to bed when you know you should will make it so much easier to make decisions at two o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Well, I think when it comes to a lot of this, this boring but helpful and true information, I think what helps get me fired up about it, I talked to this mindfulness thought leader, Rasmus Hugard, and, and I love that he brought a lot of sort of numbers and facts and research to, the, to bear in terms of like, okay, sure enough, there's a, a great ROI associated with sort of sitting and, and breathing and mindfulness practice. So maybe could you share, did you find anything striking with regard to, wow, if you spend just a couple of minutes doing this thing, it yields a whole lot of minutes of, of not overthinking in terms of like, when I, when I see a huge ROI or bang for the buck. I, I get excited. And sleep, I just love sleeping. But sometimes I think, well... I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, okay, sure, you know, six hours versus eight hours is going to make a big difference. But that's two whole freaking hours. Is there anything I can do that'll take me like four minutes <laughs> that's going to yield... 12 minutes of benefit on the other side. That's how I overthink things, Anne. Welcome to my brain. <laughs> I love that I said, I hate that this is true because you can't hack your way out of it. And now you're asking me for a hack. Yep, that's what I want. I see what you're doing. Something that did help me truly was to hear a productivity expert friend of mine, Laura Vanderkam, say, we could point to the studies, but that sleep and exercise truly, they don't take time, they make time. When you invest the time in 
getting the sleep you know you need, and stopping to exercise, you think better all day long. And she really recommends getting your exercise before 3 p.m. for that reason. Not that it won't help you more globally for the long term, but on a daily basis, your attention is sharper after you exercise. Oh, but after that, you know, that makes me think of research that shows that if we, this is going to sound like a funny word in this context, if we invest 15 minutes in overthinking, if we're prone to overthinking or in worrying, if we're prone to worrying and schedule it on our calendars for a certain time each day and concentrate on getting it all in, then it's almost like David Allen. You know, the brain wants a system it can trust. If your brain knows that its overthinking concerns will be heard from 345 to four every day, your brain is truly more likely to leave you alone the rest of the time because it knows 345, we're going to hit my issues. The system is in place. We got it handled. So it's possible that consciously, not possible, studies show that consciously deciding to overthink for those 15 minutes really can ease the burden the rest of the day. You know, it's true. And I've done that a couple of times. And when I have, I found that it's almost fun. The worrying or the overthinking is like, ah, I've been holding it in. And here we go. (laughs) It's it's just like a a frenzy. And and it's it's sort of enjoyable. Like for me, sometimes it's sort of like there's all these creative thoughts that I I really want to go explore. And in in some ways might not technically qualify for your definition because I'm I'm having fun with it. But nonetheless, they're distracting from the matter at hand, which is is more pressing and urgent and important. And so when I, I schedule like sort of creative frenzy thought time, it's so fun to to go there and it's so liberating that I I don't feel as much of the tug just knowing I see it visually in color on the calendar it's going to land there and it's fine it's handled lovely all right well then let, let's hear some more takes on changing negative thought patterns how do we go about making that happen ooh okay well again the first step is to notice they're happening but it's so true I don't know what your experience is. In my experience, I talk to so many women, friends, or even just blog readers who say like, oh, I'm just an overthinker. Like it's who I am. I've always done it. And there's, they assume there's nothing they can do about it. But what happens is that we get really good at anything we practice. And so many of us have put in a lot of almost deliberate practice over the years into developing these patterns of overthinking. And I just want to say for anyone who needs to hear that if you feel like you're a champion overthinker, yeah, it's because you've been practicing for a long time. But when you practice more positive thought patterns, it's hard at first, but that's not because you're not a natural. You weren't a natural overthinker either. Although it is true that some people are more inclined to overthink than others. But over time, slowly learning how to interrupt those overthinking moments when they happen and learning to lay a better foundation the rest of the time really can help you train your brain to go in a healthier direction on a regular basis. All right. So we talked a bit about the foundations in terms of like sleep and exercise and nutrition. How do you recommend we execute an interruption in in the heat of the moment? So when you find yourself in an overthinking moment, it may be helpful to think of it as writing out a craving. You don't have to resist that overthinking moment forever. Like the typical food craving abates in three to eight minutes. So if you can give yourself a meaningful distraction for three to eight minutes, then you are likely to be a-okay for a little while. But the meaningful distraction is important. Scrolling Instagram on your phone doesn't count. That's way too passive. You need to do something that uses 
different areas of your brain in demands a lot of your attention. So for some people, they like the combination of working jigsaw puzzles and listening to audiobooks or music at the same time. So your brain is working on two different puzzles. Basically, at once you're decoding the book and you're decoding the puzzle. Tetris is actually a remarkably effective game for those who don't like Fortnite because it does also fire up your brain in all kinds of different regions. We already talked about stress baking. Exercise is a really effective strategy for a lot of people, which combines several different ways to overcome overthinking. But it depends, of course, on what you do. Uh, somebody was raving to me recently how trying to do their double unders with their jump rope was really effective because they had to concentrate to not whack themselves in the knees. Um, but I'm a runner. But if I want to not overthink, I can't just like run on the loop at the park when nobody's there because it's easy for my brain to wander. But I've, I'm running trails. I have to pay attention or I'm going to trip on the tree roots. And that is a really distracting. Now, that's a that's a hardcore distraction because I would have to like change my clothes. And we're talking about a 45 minute run. But even small things like calling your mom, you know, talking to a friend can be really helpful. But just three to eight minutes, that's all you need. Excellent. Well, that's very helpful to know. You can sort of set a timer and then uh, not let it go too long. And, and I'm reminded now of <laughs> uh, one time I was at a date at a coffee shop and then this dude showed up and he sat down with his cup of coffee, his headphones and his knitting needles and just went to town. <laughs> I just thought it was kind of funny that he chose this time and place in, in close proximity to us to do that. But it looks like he was on to something. He was taking a, a strategic break that makes a world of difference with that combo there. Exactly. All right. Now, you had a great teaser on the back of your book, and I can't resist. What are the three things we should do for a healthier thought life? Well, we already talked about how you can set yourself up for success. So much overthinking doesn't start in the moment. It starts well before that because of the foundation you laid. You know what we didn't talk about? So we haven't talked about perfectionism yet. Like identifying and consciously thinking of ways to overcome perfectionism is a huge thing for tons of people. I did not understand the connection between perfectionism and overthinking until just in the past couple of years. And I've been living with both for a long time. And truly just seeing how they're linked has really helped me put more overthinking aside because I know perfectionism is, is unhealthy uh, in that it doesn't take me good places. And I know that when I recognize that thought pattern in myself, I need to put it aside and I more or less know how to do that. But perfectionism, like overthinking, is sneaky. And when I don't realize that the issue I'm overthinking is driven by perfectionism, I can be looking at the question on the table like it's completely reasonable. But when I realize, and you're being a perfectionist, like then it's easy to put it aside. And Pete, let me give you an example because I find when it's abstract, you think, oh, that sounds great in theory, but what the heck are you talking about? I'm thinking about things like figuring out the best way to drive across town during rush hour because you have to do it because you need to be at a thing. Like I could make myself crazy trying to figure out what if I left earlier? Could we just like move the meeting 15 minutes? What, is there a better way? What if somebody rode with a friend? Uh, you know, like, could we, could we work? this out in a different way, but realizing like you're trying to maximize this situation and make it the most efficient it can possibly be. And it's not worth the mental gymnastics you're doing. Like you've now spent more time solving the problem than it would take you to just get in the car and drive. Like that's perfectionism. Just put it aside. Okay. Well, I, I want to follow up on that. I think that's, that's, that's excellent in terms of the awareness and the catching of it and what perfectionism sounds like there. And I think I've done that with maybe amazon.com purchases in terms of like, what's the absolute best plumber's wrench or whatever, you know, that I, I can acquire. And then you, you come to realize 
well, Pete, if you spend half an hour on that, then that's far exceeds the cost difference <laughs> of these wrenches. Like you could just get them all and, and, and see for yourself. So that's great. Now, maybe you're a craftsman who like really enjoys looking at all the specs. Good point. If that's fun for you, hey, enjoy it. But if it's not, yeah, move on. Yeah, that wouldn't be how I would choose to spend my leisure time, which we're not talking about me. We're talking about you. Thinking about something like an hourly rate has really helped me make some of those decisions because, oh my gosh, I hear you. Barnes & Noble has these three for two sales. If you walk into their store, they'll have these tables full of paperbacks that are three for the price of two. And I tell you what, those first two come to me immediately. Like I know exactly what I want, but then I could spend 20 minutes like staring at all the books thinking, well, I don't really love any of these. And oh, I mean, retailers are not on your side when it comes to overthinking. The longer you spend looking, the more you buy. I guess they're not considering that you may just throw up your hands in frustration and leave, Pete. Oh, well, I guess not enough of us do that. <laughs> Clearly not. Well, Anne, tell me, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about a couple of your favorite things? For a long time, I knew the way overthought things that, I mean, I could see myself thinking my way out of happiness because it made me miserable in the moment. But I never really realized until these past few years how often I would actually talk myself out of small joys. I feel now like I'm losing twice when I do that. So I'm spending this time debating something that doesn't deserve my time and energy. And also I lose out in the process. And we talked about pens earlier. Like pens are a good example. I can't tell you how many times I thought, well... I don't really need the Uniball Visions because I have a pen from the bank. That's not great. It's not a great tool. I'm a writer, but still, like, do I really need to spend extra $1.80 on a Uniball Vision? But they, they cost a little more than the baseline to get a nice pen. And so I'd be like, well, is it worth it? Well, is it the most efficient? Well, can I justify it? Well, and Pete, I finally realized, like, what am I debating here? Like, it's a tool. I'm a writer. But even if I wasn't, the pleasure you get for like six months of writing with a pen that costs a little bit more that's actually decent. Like it's a small joy every time you pick it up. If you're a total pen dork, which I am. And so why would I talk myself out of that? And by talk myself out of it, I don't just mean in a moment. I mean, lots of concentrated thought about what kind of pen I want to buy. So I realized that I was just cutting myself off from these small, simple joys. There's flowers on the front of the book. And the reason there's flowers on the front of the book is for years, like I would drive myself just bananas at Trader Joe's thinking, well, can I justify getting the flowers? I don't really need the flowers. I really love flowers on my kitchen counter, but they're not like an essential to live a good life. And I finally realized like, and you have $4. You can just buy the flowers. You can put them on your kitchen counter and you can enjoy them all week. So I would just hope that listeners would think about how not only is overthinking something that you can stop doing because it's making you miserable, but when you put it aside, you really can open the door to bringing these simple life pleasures into your life in a more abundant way. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Now, could you share with us a favorite quote so that you find inspiring? I dwell in possibility, Emily Dickinson. Lovely. And how about a favorite tool? Maybe it's a pen, something you use to be awesome at your job. I like this thing. It's called a letter mate, I think. It calls itself a handy tool to write in a straight line for those who have terrible handwriting, which I do. So I keep it on my desk and I use it to write in a straight line and in my blank journal and it makes me happy. Oh, cool. And how about a favorite habit? Ooh, walking the dog in the morning before it gets hot. 
And a particular nugget you share that you're known for? Oh, reading is not a competition, quality over quantity. Also, don't apologize for not reading Jane Austen. It really is okay. People may not say that to you, but my, my blog is named after a Jane Austen character, so I get that all the time. I just think that's, that's funny that that's your life. <laughs> <laughs> Every day. You all right? And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? My hub on the web is my blog, modernmrsdarcy.com, or the podcast, What Should I Read Next, is in your favorite podcast app. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Ooh, yeah. Put your butt in the chair and do the work. I mean, you probably know what to do. Make yourself some coffee or grab whatever you love instead and do the thing instead of talking about how much you wish you could. All right. Anne, this has been a treat. Thank you. And I wish you lots of luck in all the ways you might be tempted to overthink it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And it was great to be back. I really liked Anne's take on that three to eight minute. Well, one, I just love uh, you know, whenever there's numbers and science associated with the human experience and behavior that apply to us, I love it. So, hey, three to eight minutes is the length of a food craving and is comparable to the overthinking craving when you're you're going there. So if you occupy your mind with something well, again, not passive like scrolling social media, then you can sort of just sort of move past that sort of urge, that craving phase. And I think one of my favorite interrupts that I've been tackling here is to listen to something really interesting and engaging, maybe it's this podcast, while also doing some tidying, cleaning. So I think that I'm also doing some thinking associated with, okay, this desk here, where should I put this earplug? <laughs> Where should I put this empty can of sugar-free Red Bull? Welcome to my world. This is where we are right now. And so then it's not that hard, of course, like, oh, put the earplugs in the bin with the other earplugs, put the Red Bull can in the recycling to, you know, there you go. Uh, but nonetheless, it's it's enough to, to get the brain engaged uh, with the audio and that. And you have a tidy desk when you're done. Anyway, that's just my flavor. Maybe you want to knit in a coffee shop. Uh, again, the show notes, the transcripts, the links, the items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep. 580. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It is Michael Watkins, and he has got some really great tips associated with vulnerability, opening up, engaging people, how that is helpful and useful and important always, and particularly in these uncertain times. I hope to catch you there. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, Check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.